One of the good things about living in our son's basement for the last season of the year uh, is that our granddaughter comes tripping down the stairs on a regular basis for a little visit. And last year, when she was eight years old, Joyce was working in the kitchen with some sharp scissors, and I was sitting close by uh, in our little living room, and Elliot was playing nearby with some paper. Can I have those scissors? asked Elliot. Joyce said, what did you say? And Elliot replied, I wasn't talking to you. Joyce asked, who were you talking to then? Elliot replied, I was talking to my brain. Joyce asked, and what did your brain say? Elliot said, I asked my brain, can I have those scissors? And my brain said, no. In Romans 7, Paul, in this spiritual autobiography, talks about that same kind of struggle. Perhaps he was talking to his brain or his heart, and he knew what it was he was supposed to do, and he knew what he didn't want to do, and he found himself doing the very thing that he knew he didn't want to do and wasn't supposed to do. I do not understand my own actions, he writes, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. What a capturing of the human struggle. So often I find myself in that mode, wanting to do something, wanting to get it right, wanting to be perfect, as Dawn said, she wants to be perfect, and yet finding myself far from that goal of perfection, saying or doing something that I regret afterwards and wish that I hadn't done or said. That seems to come out of nowhere, and I don't understand. And that project of perfection continues to evade me. Paul is so impressive here in this passage, in fact, in most of his writing, but in this passage in particular, it strikes me that he, is, he impresses me with the transparency and honesty that he demonstrates in this dialogue with himself. He is right out there. It takes courage to look at one's inner self with such depth. He's very aware, very self-aware in his analysis of his actions, and he takes responsibility for himself. Romans 7 is an invitation for us to have the courage to reflect honestly on who we are and what motivates our lives. And it's a challenge to take responsibility for ourselves not simply ignoring our activities or rationalizing what we do, like the popular excuse, so the devil made me do it. No, Paul encourages us to look inward, to examine ourselves, to reflect on what it is that motivates us and to uh, get on with dealing with the things that that are distracting us from living well. Paul speaks of the sin dwelling within that produces unwanted actions when he writes, But in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
He pinpoints the cause of some of the things that go wrong with us. Now, sin is not the most appealing topic to talk about. I'd rather avoid having to think about it, but here we are with Romans 7 staring us in the face. So let's have a look at it and see what we can learn about sin and how we can live a better way as a result. Sin is deceptive, you know. It deceives us all over the place. Proverbs describes sin and its temptation as smooth and crafty. It comes to us with deceptive speech, smooth talk. It persuades, compels, but underneath it's like taking fire into our bosom, walking on live coals. It brings calamity, wounds, dishonor, disgrace. Sin is something to be seriously avoided. But there's a deception regarding the satisfaction in sin. Adam and Eve in the garden had it all, but the forbidden was overwhelming, and their choice and experience sets the template for us all. We all have trouble resisting temptation. Things come to us and we think, I really shouldn't go there, but sometimes we do. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, as the old saying goes. But if we seek the forbidden, we will discover that it is deadly. Sin also deceives us regarding the excuse that can be made for it. We all think we have a good defense for our action. That's called rationalization. We might be angry and and say, well, it's the other person's fault. They made me angry. Or we may fail our duty, something that we know we should have done, and we say, well, it probably wasn't that important anyway. We may fool ourselves. We may fool other people, but we never fool God. Sin deceives us regarding the probability of escaping the consequences of sin. When we do something wrong, we rarely think of the consequences, because if we did, we probably wouldn't do what it is we were doing that isn't right. We hope for escape. Sin offers satisfaction, and it's a lie. Sin offers a reasonable excuse, but that's a lie. Sin offers actions with no consequences, and that's a lie. Well, what about our response to those deceiving qualities of sin? Well, there's our inadequacy. There's the inadequacy of human knowledge. If knowing equal equal doing, life would be easy. If we knew something and could just do it, everything would be easy. We We may know all about golf. We've watched it on television. We've seen them play, but we don't, may not know how to do it. We may know good poetry, but we may not know how to write it. We may know how to behave, but we may not be able to perform what we know. Paul says he knows what is right, but doesn't do it. There's an inadequacy to our knowledge about things. There's an adequacy of human resolve. To resolve is also far from doing. Our wills failed us. Peter, in that famous statement, says, 
Lord, though I should face death with you, I will never deny you. What resolve? But we all know about Peter denying three times before the rooster crowed at dawn. Mere resolve is not the end. And there's an inadequacy of diagnosis. Paul clearly knew what was wrong. The law directed him. It's easy to define wrong, especially in other people, but we need a new power to make it right. And so because of our inadequacies, our reaction, our response includes sin. Even though we are Christians, we are still subject to sin. Paul knows what's right. He does wrong. As Christians, our deepest aspiration with Paul is to delight in God's law. But our personality traits, our habits, our previous experiences, our ambitions, our lusts follow a sinful path sometimes. It's the spirit of God's law versus sin. It's a constant choice, you know. We never lose the freedom to choose, and we often choose sin. And that brings the consequence of sin, which is guilt. Like Paul, because we know what is right and don't do it, we live with guilt. Guilt hampers our personal potential. It hampers our relationships. It hampers our faith. It eats away at us and destroys the best things of life. Our inadequacy, our sin, our guilt the awful grip that holds us because we are human. God's answer, though, is here in Paul's writing as well. Wretched person that I am, said Paul, who will rescue me from this body of death? And through great love, God provides an answer, a response for us. There's forgiveness Through Christ, God provides forgiveness. But for us, sometimes it's hard to come to the point of forgiveness, to asking for forgiveness, to repenting, to say, to to confess our need and to say, I need something, I've gotten it wrong. We sometimes like our sin, even as it destroys us. If we feel that we've gone too far, sometimes pride keeps us in that cocoon of wanting to hold on to what we've done, not being willing to humble ourselves and ask for God's forgiveness. But we can forgive ourselves, and we can forgive others who have harmed us. Each week, as we did this morning, we pray together, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. May those words become a reality in our lives and hearts and not just a litany that we speak week by week. Sometimes we wait too long to ask for forgiveness. Much as Joyce and I love each other, we sometimes get offside and feel alienated. We retreat into our corners, hurt by something that one or other of us has said. Usually it's some dumb thing I've said or done to be honest. And my stubbornness keeps us apart. I, in the corner, it couldn't have been my fault, could it? Must have been something that Joyce did or said. Until I ask the question of myself, 
Do I want to be alienated and distant like this a week from now? A day from now? An hour from now? No, that's not where I want to stay. So I'd better step up and apologize now and face what I've done. There's a timeliness when we need to recognize that just delaying asking for forgiveness and repenting is not going to get us anywhere. Or sometimes we may be reluctant to ask for forgiveness because we don't want to risk being denied. We don't want to apologize and not have someone and have someone not forgive us. We may have had experiences that leave us wary. But with God, as long as our confession is sincere, forgiveness is the promise of redemption. And with forgiveness comes freedom. Freedom to live, to be free from guilt, and to live with a freedom that is the promise to all of us who love God. The peace that passes all understanding is ours if we step forward. It's not a step of weakness, but of strength to receive forgiveness. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and freedom are the awesome grip of God's love. Paul writes, who will rescue me from this grip of sin or body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The tricky thing about sin is that we're not trying to sin. In the battle between good and evil, we think we're on the right side, but it doesn't seem to help. We can never actually be good enough. We mean to be playing for the right team, but we keep accidentally scoring for the opposition. Sin seems to be more than our own choice. It's as if sin lives in us and makes choices for us. Trying harder doesn't free us from this battle. Only God's grace does. Rather than help us be good enough, God removes us from the battle. There's no such thing as good enough. We're just loved. Courage, friends. This is a good news story. We may struggle to get life right, but God's hand is reaching out for us to give us guidance and strength for the right path. Our opportunity is to reach out and take that hand. Break the awful grip of sin. Take the awesome grip of God. And as the old hymn has it, Out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Amen.